0: what's going on family good evening welcome back another night for us to dive into god's word hope you've had a good day i know it's a lot of challenges out there for folks right now set up but god is still on the throne and that will not change so we trust and hope and rest in him and In him alone, and then we seek our guidance and direction from him as well. Miss Maria, let me see. Hey, Miss Maria, good to see you. Ricardo, good evening. Ricardo, we're going to try to uh, jump back in that passage for you in Matthew 5. Go ahead and touch that a little bit today. How you guys doing? <clears throat> How's your family? Hope all things are well. Man, I can tell you what, God is... I shared with you guys about the new position God has given us to serve at a local church. And... uh Man, God has just been on the move already. I think this is, I know this is an incredible work that God is up to. Haley J, good to see you. I know we haven't talked. I plan to call you or text you guys or something by, at least by tomorrow. We can talk about, uh, um, Saturday, but good to see you. We yeah, are doing well. Just finished feeding my two dinner. Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, our world just changed so fast, man. Like Sunday happened, and it's been a million miles per hour. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out how to pace myself and how to run. I'm used to running at a certain pace in ministry without having a child, and uh, that is no longer our situation. So this is new for me, and uh, uh, a totally different situation. Never pastored in a pandemic, never uh, was responsible for a facility, never, I could go on and on and on. So a lot of new things, a lot, of, a lot to learn uh, in this time, but we're doing well. Um, just being blown away every day, honestly, um, Believing in a person can be in right relationship with God is uh, by grace through faith and it's not by our works. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's love, acceptance or approval. And so we've been dealing with that and it's, it's not the law. It's not any of that. And I know that the natural question is, well, what about all the laws, all the rules and all the commands you keep on saying? No, it's not about that. And if you think about it, I'm not saying it. The scripture is saying it. Um, uh, Now, I'm interpreting it to be that way. I I think it is fairly clear, but we're going to actually look at some of those verses that maybe deal with the law or try to explain how the relationship to the law fits or works uh, with Jesus Christ. So let's pray and we'll jump right in. Father, I thank you for uh, giving us life today and for strength and health and vitality to be here. We thank you for this gift of the internet that we can fellowship even from a distance this way. And Lord, I just pray for our nation as uh, so much is going on and there's continued division uh, so many ways. Um, injustice, hate, violence, pride, self-centeredness, so many things that keep us from actually looking like your children. And I just pray that you would unite your church in such a way that we would be the light you sent your son to die to create. Help us to see from your perspective, to have your spirit, which gives us your heart that we might. Live, look, and love like you. Pray for uh, all those who were in line of this uh, hurricane, God. We pray that you would just stop it, Lord, that you would totally diminish it, that it would not even continue. And If it will, Lord, we just pray that it would not do any of the devastation and damage that uh, it seems to be coming that way. We pray for safety and shelter for all those who are in uh, harm's way, that you would get them to a safe place. We pray that you would spare and cover and protect people's homes and businesses and so much, God. Yet we don't know uh, why these things are happening, but we know you're in control. So we trust you and we ask ultimately that your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, uh, what do we got going on? My broadcast has ended. Broadcast interrupted. Hmm. I don't know what that's about. Let me know if you guys are still there. Uh, Mary or Ricardo or Haley, whoever I've seen on here. Just uh, send me something to let me know that I'm not just talking to this screen. <laughs> that you're still there and you can still hear me. I hope so. Okay, great. All right, so let's go back to Galatians chapter 2. This is where we've uh, been. We actually got into Galatians chapter uh, 3 the other day. We were able to make it to chapter 3, thankfully. Um, <clears throat> and we've been walking through this uh, verse by verse, but, um, Ricardo, I know you brought up the issue of the law and a couple of other people are asking about the law. So I'm not going to continue through with chapter three right now. I am going to try to address it. So here's the big issue. Okay. Jesus has come. He's done something with the law and all these people, Paul keep saying, it's not about the law. It's not about the rules. It's not about the commands. And the question becomes, well, what do we do with it? And actually, when the gospel was being taught initially, uh, like Paul in this example, people are asking the same thing. Well, can we just continue in sin? Uh, is that cool? Can we just have a license now to do whatever we want to do? And God will ultimately forgive us. And the answer is always absolutely not. We've talked about that in the past. So Galatians chapter two, verse 17, after Paul has explained. Um, well, no, let me back up just because some of you might not have heard me teach it. Um, Let's go to 16. Galatians chapter two, starting in verse 16 is where we will start tonight. And Paul says, know that a person is not justified. Now we said to be justified just simply means to be in right relationship with God. There's no beef. There's no debt. There's no issues. You are in right relationship with God. So it says, uh, know that a person is justified or in right relationship by the works of the law. So a person is not justified. By doing what the law commands or by doing what the commandments say. All right. You cannot be in right relationship with God by doing that, um, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul is making this clear. It says, so we, referring to the Jews who have lived all their lives by obeying the laws to be in right relationship with God. And he says, but so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus That we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So he's saying whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, no matter who you are, you can obey every law if you want, which is impossible. But let's say you did. It doesn't make a difference. You're not going to be in right relationship with God by doing what the law commands. We've already talked about why. It's more about the heart than it is the outward behavior. That's what God was after this whole time. It's not that he's just trying to keep you from wanting to sock somebody in the eye. He's wanting you to not want to punch a person. So he's trying to change the inside of us so that we might become like him. And if you're just not obeying the laws, but inside you're still wicked, then it doesn't matter to him. We've used an illustration that said, if if I just... Give my wife flowers because she wants them. And I says, here are the flowers you want it. My wife won't be happy with those flowers. She wants me to want to give her flowers. She wants it to come from my heart. And God is no different. He wants us to want to love him, to want to live like him, to want to be like him, not just to follow rules and laws. So Paul's making that real clear. Then in verse 17, after they're hearing, so it's not the law, it's not the commands. That's not going to put me in right relationship. Nope, that won't do it. Then they say, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, so if I'm trying to not follow the law and just trust in Jesus, we Jews who were the ones who originally received the law find ourselves also among sinners. So what if we say, okay, we're not going to follow the laws. We're going to just trust in Christ. And we find out that, oh, God is still counting our sins against us. It says, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? You see that? So they're trying to say, Jesus is they they get clearly that Paul is saying Jesus didn't come to uh, tell you to follow more laws or to do a better job at following laws. So they're like, oh, so if we listen to him. Is he promoting sin because he's not encouraging us to follow the law like we would think any good Jewish person should do? So the answer is uh, right there in the text. He says, absolutely not. Right, absolutely not. Jesus does not promote sin, so the question becomes, well, how is it that I'm in right standing with God if I'm not banking on the law? and we've talked about it's our faith in who Jesus is and what He's done and the difference it makes in our lives. That's what it's gonna be based upon, and uh that's it, and that's it along and then the questions begin this that was all uh recap. So today what I want to talk about is when people say, well, what about the laws? What about the rules? What about the commands? How can we just overlook those or, you know, the the disrespect that Jesus has for the law? Look at what it's simply saying here that he's promoting sin if he's disrespecting the law. So what I want to do now is actually look at the, the, the scripture to see what Jesus says about it. So let's go to Matthew chapter five. Matthew. Chapter five, starting in verse uh, seventeen. Even, yeah, Matthew five seventeen. Hey, mom, good to see you. Matthew five seventeen. Jesus says, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law." or the prophets. Now the law, uh, basically the first five books of the Bible that was written by Moses. So Jesus is saying, don't think that I came to abolish those first five books or the writings of the prophets, which would be the rest of the old Testament. So what he's trying to say is don't think, cause there's no new Testament at this time, you know, the new Testament isn't written till after Jesus returns back to heaven. And then his, uh, followers start writing then. So all they had was the Old Testament, which consisted of the law, which is the first five books of the Bible, and the writings of the prophets. That's how they grouped them. So he's saying, Jesus is saying, basically, don't think that I've come to abolish the Bible during that day, the Old Testament text. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish this, the law. Remember, people are asking, so does he promote sin? Uh is he saying, you know, since he's saying we put faith in him and not in Not by doing the law. What does Jesus think about the law? He tells us right here. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to, I I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them is what he says. And that's such a powerful statement. He says, I did not come to abolish, basically to get rid of them, but to fulfill them, which is to accomplish their purpose. Now, when God gave the law, you have to ask, if Jesus didn't come to just throw the law away, but to fulfill it or accomplish his purpose, what was the purpose or the reason why God gave those laws in the first place? Now, as we keep on reading through Galatians, which we'll pick back up on Monday, uh, Paul is going to begin to explain even more what the law was all about. So we're not going to go there tonight because I want to address the questions I've been getting about what do we do with the law? So... Notice he didn't come to get rid of it, to tear it up, but to accomplish its purpose. So that's significant for us to understand that these laws had a purpose. There was a significant uh, reason why God implemented these laws. Verse 18 says, for truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen by any means will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now look at the way Jesus views the scripture. So in Galatians two, it's like, does Jesus promote sin? Is he anti-law? How does he feel about the old Testament scriptures? Well, look at the way he, he views the scriptures. He's basically, um, telling us for truly, I tell you until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter. So he, he's letting us know that, um, the law is good, right? That the law has purpose because it has to accomplish its purpose. He's telling us that um, the law is basically eternal. And in some sense, like heaven and earth will have to pass away. So even if you say it's not eternal, it's going to outlast those things, heaven and earth. So there's some significance to the law in Jesus's eyes um, until everything is accomplished. So there's uh, the purpose and there's to be accomplished. That means it's authoritative. The law has power. I want us to understand because when we think about Jesus, we sometimes think that he's against the law. And to be Christian and to just believe in Jesus and not the law means we're against the law. Oh, by no means. We understand the importance and the significance of the law. And Jesus did too. He says it's good. He says it's powerful. He says it's authoritative. He said it has purpose. I mean, he's he's explaining how significant the law is. Now, that's important for us to truly embrace because nothing Jesus ever says or does is ever outside or doesn't align with the law. Because look how he honors it. He, let's just read it again. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So notice that there is a time when it will disappear when its purpose is accomplished. Again, we will be in Galatians on Monday talking about what that purpose is. But we have to understand that he never did or said anything that didn't align with, with the scriptures everything he says and done is exactly in line with the scriptures and with the law and with the commands and i want to show you um i've been talking a lot just hammering that home i want to now dive into the scriptures to uh bring it home a little bit more so let's go to the book of john we're going to jump over uh, to the book of john we're going to go to chapter one y'all are right out there john chapter 1 verse 14 that's where we're going to go john chapter 1 verse 14 so in galatians two 17, they're asking how does jesus really feel about the law is he leading people into sin to just trust in him and abandon the laws Matthew 5, Jesus says, I didn't come to abandon or abolish or get rid of them. I came to fulfill and uh, accomplish his purpose. And I said everything he's he's never done or said anything that doesn't align. So when he says not the law point to me or look to me or put faith in me, that's somehow in line with the purpose. And I want to show you how we know that because John chapter one, verse 14 says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace grace and truth. Now we know John one one says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. and here in fourteen it says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. How do we know that Jesus never said? or did anything that doesn't align with the law, with the word, with the Old Testament, because he is the word. There's no way Jesus could say or do anything that's outside of the law and the commands and the scriptures and the Old Testament, because he is the word made flesh. So we can just put a period right there and stop. Because we're talking about religion versus the gospel. Is it about following lo- the rules, the laws and commands or about grace through faith and who Jesus is and what he's done? And Jesus and Paul and all these others are saying, it's not about following the laws. It's about faith in Jesus. And people's questions is, well, what do we do with the law? And I want you to understand that Jesus honors the law. He th- Okay, don't have a clue. Sorry about that. See if I can get back on. Mm. Give folks a second. Yeah, sorry about that. So as I'm waiting for folks, um, and Ricardo, I see you're back on. um, What I'm trying to say is this. Jesus cannot say or do anything outside of the word of God, the Old Testament, the laws, the commands, the prophets, any of those writings. He cannot um, be unaligned, or disaligned with any of that. Here's why. Because it's who he is. And... um, I hope that that is clear. I'm going to give folks like another uh, 30 seconds or so, and then I'll jump right back in, and hopefully they'll catch us um, that we're back on. I don't uh, – sorry about the interruption. I know earlier you guys are saying that there's issues. Just got to keep pressing forward. Okay, so – um, um. oh, yeah, okay. So I'm trying to explain what he's saying in Matthew 5. He's honoring the law. And then I said, he cannot say or do anything that doesn't align with the law or the commands for people who might think, uh, even even for groups who think, well, no, you can't just get rid of the law. Jesus is saying you're doing something wrong because the law, you know, it has to be like the Jews, for example. It has to be, we have to live by that law. Well, Jesus is saying, yes, we do. And I, he says he does too until its purpose is accomplished. And so what we see right here in John chapter one is in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So the word is part of the Godhead somehow. Right. And that doesn't make sense to us. And so we look at verse 14 and it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling, his home. It actually means he tabernacled down here with us. Now in the Old Testament, especially if you were been going through the teachings when we were walking through book by book and verse by verse in the past, we talked about the tabernacle and the significance of that tabernacle because it was God's way of wanting to dwell or be with his people. And because God is holy, we talked about that. We said, "Because God is holy, think about the sun that you can't just go and approach the sun. Not that the sun is mad at you or angry, but because of its mere power, You've had to wear certain protective, uh, you know, coverings to get to it. And we don't we don't know of that type of covering. There's nothing you could do to go and touch the sun. We haven't come up with that yet. It's too powerful. Well, God, there's nobody who can approach him because like the sun, we will be destroyed in his presence because he's holy. And we also said that God is just, which means he judges fairly. He doesn't let people get away with doing wrong. Doesn't matter if you have more good than bad. I'm a pastor. People can say, "Oh, you've you've led people to Christ, you've baptized, you've done missions." Yeah, but if I do crime, it doesn't nobody cares that I've done all these things and God has to punish. That's why our world is in uproar right now because of injustice. Feeling like, "Well, how can people get away with certain actions and behavior? This is not just." Well, God would not be just either if he said, "Yeah, they did wrong, but they got more good than Bad. No, he has to punish because he's just, but he's also loving. Which means that he loves us so much that because of his holiness, we cannot come into his presence. Because he's just, he has to punish. But because he's loving, he wants to be in relationship with us. So he figured out a way to do that, and that was by punishing his son. Now, for us who are sinners, which is all of us, how are we going to deal with those sins? Can we work them off by being good enough or following the rules, laws, and commands? The Bible saying, no, that doesn't do it. It's faith in Jesus. And when the question becomes, well, what about the laws? It's he fulfilled them. He, He doesn't say or do anything that doesn't align. Why? Because he is the word made flesh. Which means he's the Bible you're reading that contains the laws and the rules and the prophets turned into one of us. So everything about him aligns. Perfectly with this. In fact, everything is about him. So when we look in the Old Testament and we see that God rained down manna, the New Testament tells us that Jesus is the manna. He is the bread of life. Or when we saw that they struck the rock and it put forth water, we know that Jesus is living water. Or when we look at David in the Old Testament, we know that that's Jesus. We look at the tabernacle, we know that that's Jesus. We look at the 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 olives being pressed inside the tabernacle to fill up the oil in the lights that's jesus the We just can go through everything. The veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, the New Testament. Hebrews tells us that as his his body was torn and ripped on the cross, so that veil was ripped and torn, giving us access into God's presence. Everything about this whole Bible is pointing to who he is because he is the word made flesh. So there's nothing about who he is or what he says that doesn't align. So when Jesus is telling people to have faith and trust in me and we ask, but what about the law? What about the scriptures? What about the word? He is the word. There's no way he can't be in alignment because he is the word made flesh. I hope this is making some sense. He even tells us that the word is who he is. Turn with me to the book of Luke. Hey, Megan, good to see you tonight. Luke 24 is where we're going to go. Uh, Luke chapter 24 is where we're going. And we are in verse 27. Luke 24 and verse 27. Luke 24, verse 27. Listen to this. It says, and beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, there it is, that's the whole Old Testament. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, if you go back and read right before, it's talking about Jesus. Verse 25, it says, He said to them, How foolish you are, how slow to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Did not Moses have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? So he's explaining the Old Testament to them. And then it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the whole Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures. There was no New Testament, so just the Old Testament, concerning himself. He was trying to say, all of the Old Testament, guess what? Points to me. He was—he wanted them to grasp. This Bible, this book, this Old Testament at the time is talking about me. And we can go uh, back to John. Actually, let's go back to John chapter 1. I hope this is making sense, family. I pray it is. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 45. John chapter 1, verse 45. John 1, 45. It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth. the son of Joseph. The one that was written about where Moses wrote about him in the law and the prophets did too. They're written in the prophets. It's all about him. Let's go to John chapter 5. As Jesus is walking us through this understanding. John chapter 5, verse 39. John chapter 5, verse 39. John 5, 39. Jesus says, uh, talking to the religious leaders, he tells them, he says, as they're um, basically, you know, they're beefing all the time with him and Jesus. Jesus says, you study the scriptures diligently. That I means they're spending a lot of time really, really getting it in, in the word of God. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because, here's the purpose, you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. You hear what he's saying? Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So Jesus is telling these leaders, you are searching the scriptures because you think the scriptures are going to give you eternal life, which some people think following the law, doing the rules, being a good uh, person, or I don't know what people come crazy stuff. Ultimately, Jesus says to them, You're all in the word of God, having a lot of quiet time, doing all this great stuff, uh, heavy in theology, searching the the text and reading. That's great. But it's all written about me. And there's actually a way that you can spend so much time reading and, and searching the scriptures and miss me. And I'm the one who the scripture is talking about. I am the scripture made flesh. So there's no way that there's anything that the scripture can say or talk about or do that doesn't align with who I am. I am the fulfillment of the scriptures. The purpose was found in me, is what Jesus is trying to teach people. And I'm hoping that we've we've basically covered enough scriptures to show you that. And that's why the, the law and the prophets are considered the old testament. Or think about an old covenant. A way in which we related to God, and Jesus comes to actually bring a new testament, a new way to relate to God. Now, for some of you who have been with us from March, we've spent a lot of time talking about covenants. Remember, we walked through the covenants. We talked about uh, from a wedding ring to rainbows to Abraham to sacrifice to circumcision to mold. We talked so much about all of this stuff. Now, think about what's happening. Jesus is implementing a new covenant, a new way for people to connect and relate to God and be considered his children. Okay, so if you're out there and you're still wrestling with what about the laws? What about the rules? What about the commands? Jesus holds them in high regard. He thinks they're good. He thinks they're authoritative. He thinks they have purpose, but they're there just to fulfill what they were written for. And he makes clear they were written about me. And then he says, and then me as the word, I became flesh. So he when we say we put our faith in Jesus, you're putting your faith basically in the word. And he fulfills that for us, not us trying to fulfill that on our own. That's called works. That's called religion. That's not what it wasn't God's purpose. That's why we spend so much time in, in, in Romans, looking at chapter 3 and chapter 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, trying to figure out what they're talking about there. So let's go to, uh, um, where do I want to go? Um, well, but first let me say this. We must understand that Jesus comes to implement a new covenant. So it's no longer old Not that the Old Testament is thrown away. No, no, no. We have to glean and and understand our foundation so much from the Old Testament. And we get to see God in amazing ways at work, um, so different than we do in the New Testament. But the fulfillment of the purpose that's in your face up in person is Jesus of the New Testament, which is where the new covenant is established, this new relationship, this new way of relating to God, through faith trust belief in jesus and who he is and what he's done and the difference it makes in our lives and we call that the gospel because it's incredible news now the new testament changes everything about the old testament it makes that so clear to us so in the Old Testament, again, if you're with us in the beginning, we talked about, especially when we got to like the book of Leviticus and we walked through that whole book. And remember, I was draw, drawing charts up here, explaining all the sacrifices and what they meant and what they did. And remember, we went all when we went through all of that. Well, the whole purpose of all of that is culminated in Jesus. This is the reason why they the sacrifices have ceased, because Jesus dying on the cross fulfills what all that sacrifice is about. He is the ultimate sacrifice, the lamb that has come to take away the sins of the world. And we see that in Hebrews 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Y'all rocking with me still? Y'all tracking with me out there? Hebrews chapter 9. Hmm. Um, I don't even know, man, I, I, we, this is why the Bible, I'm like, okay, let's just start in Hebrews chapter one and read through. That's what we, I feel like I want to do without everything we, we kind of walk through, but I know we'll be here forever. So let's go to Hebrews chapter nine. I really want to focus on verse 12, but I'm going to start in verse 11. So Hebrews nine, 11 is where we're going to go. And it says, but when Christ came as high priest." Of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That is not made with human hands. So wordy there, but trying to say that the the tabernacle is set up here on earth, and the priest had to go in and through and do his work there. Well, Jesus did that in heaven. Right. That's what it's trying to say when it says the greater and more perfect tabernacle. He did that. The tabernacle was just an image or a reflection of the real things in heaven. Well, Jesus didn't enter into an earthly tabernacle down here as an image or a shadow or a picture. He did it uh, in heaven. And that's what it's saying. And the greater, more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. It says that is to say it's not a part of this creation. It's heavenly. And then here's this. Here's where I want to focus. Verse 12 says he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. Remember, they had to purify themselves. There was a consecration process, meaning they got to get cleaned up where they had to uh, you know, abstain from certain practices, even intercourse with their spouse, all this stuff to be wholly considered pure at least ceremonially so that they can enter the high priest who did this one time a year where they tied this rope around his waist and there was bells. So if you heard the bell stop moving, that means he was dead. You drug him out. So he goes into this place, but before there has to be purification uh, practices and ceremonies, consecration, everything to get cleaned up so that he can go into God's presence. It's just like, if we're going to go to the sun, we've got to put on all the proper attire so that we don't die As we get closer to the sun, well, you will die in God's presence unless you do what he's required to come before him. So you can go before God if you do it the way he's said, this is the only way. And if you did not do the proper sacrifices, then guess what? You died. Well, the same thing is true with God today, that if we don't do what he says is the proper covering, which is the blood of Jesus, then nobody can come before him. That's why Jesus is the only way. He's the gate. He's the door. I could do it. He's the only way. But right here it says he did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves. He didn't do those human sacrifices like the human priest did. But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. You see that? The blood of goats and bulls and ashes of the heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctified them so that they are outwardly clean. So the old stuff in the Old Testament made them outwardly clean, but it couldn't do anything about the inside. And God just didn't want us bringing him flowers because he wanted us to following the law. He wanted our hearts to be changed. And under the Old Testament laws, rules, commands, you can't get to the heart, but you can clean up the outside. And so Jesus, it says, how much more in verse 14, I'm sorry, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God so that they can be a real relationship. Remember in Galatians, Paul says, I'm no longer trying to live for God. I died to the law with Christ so that I might live let him live in and through me. Christianity is not you living for God, but allowing him to live in and through you. It's a life of surrender. It's a life of dying. Everything that Jesus did, we partner with him. So he died and we die. And he was resurrected by the power of the spirit. And we're supposed to be resurrected to new li- to live new lives by that same power. And death no longer has no power over him or over us. And he's seated at the right hand of the father. And so are we. Because we are one with him. He's the head and we are the body. And we've joined him. And so when Christ sees you, if you believe that message about Christ, he sees you just as he sees Christ. And the reason why Christ was punished is because he saw Christ just like he saw us as sinners. And now we're one if we believe that message. But those sacrifices are destroyed because of Jesus entering into that holy place. Now, it's not just that. It's not just that. The sacrifices are done away with. Uh, The priesthood is also done away with. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. Okay. What's up, Kev? Hey, Megan. Good to see you guys. Hebrews uh, chapter 7, starting in verse 23. It says in Hebrews 7, 23 says, Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. So what it's saying is since people die, you got to replace the priests. So there's been a whole bunch of priests because the priests die. Right. So now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. They couldn't stay in office because they died. It says, but in 24, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives and intercedes for them. In the Old Testament, there was an order of the priesthood. They got this, uh, the children, the the Levites could be priest. Aaron's family, you know, uh, could be priests. which is a, a priest is a person who represents God to the people and the people to God. They're the mediators. They're the middlemen. And they played that role. But because they died, they just had to keep getting replacing each other for generation for generation. But Jesus... Lives forever. So he is our priest and we have no other. The the priesthood is is destroyed or fulfilled in Jesus because, why? He's the fulfillment of the law. So the law said there must be a priest. But until its purpose came. Oh, what was the purpose? The one true priest who doesn't need to be replaced. The law said that there needed to be sacrificed until the purpose. Oh, the ultimate sacrifice who takes away all sins. Ah, is this beginning to make any sense? I sure hope so. Um, the temple is another one. Remember, they had to go to, uh, they had a tabernacle. Um, they had uh, the temple. They had all of these things that they had to go to. And we know that that's not the case anymore. And so in John 4, which is where we're going to jump, jump back to. We're mad on time. John chapter 4. Y'all all right out there? John chapter 4, verse 21. John 4, 21. Says, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, here we go, and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worship worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth truth. Jesus talks about destroy this temple and I will rebuild it. Um, uh, The Bible says that we Christians are now the temple of God. We're like each individual brick or the foundation, you know, it's Christ. He's the cornerstone. We are the temple of God, not what we found in the Old Testament. So, so we've seen that um, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law because he is the word made flesh. And all the scriptures point to him. And then we also see that the new covenant changes the dynamic in the way in which we relate to God. The priesthood is changed. The sacrifices are changed. The temple is changed. The tabernacle is changed. He is all of those things. And he is the fulfillment. The kosher uh, rules or laws, the, the food, you know, dietary restrictions are changed. And Jesus says, it's not what goes in you that defiles you, but what comes out of a person. All the things that were written about had their purpose. And Monday, we'll look at that in Galatians, where he begins to talk about the purpose. Um, but I wanted us to begin to see just who Jesus is and the difference that he makes. The The ceremonial or the civil laws of how they're supposed to live and act and behave. All those things are changed because they are fulfilled in christ jesus we should get a hallelujah amen right 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 there all the promises from the old testament they were fulfilled in jesus because it's all about him let's look at one more in romans chapter 10 and then i'll maybe take some questions from you guys romans chapter 10 uh Um, um, verse four, Romans chapter ten, verse four. Romans ten, four says Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law. He's the fulfillment. He's the, pur- the purpose. He, he, he's come to accomplish everything that the law set out to do. Christ is the culmination of the law so that, this is a purpose statement, there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Not because of them obeying the law, but because they put their faith in Jesus, who is the end or fulfillment of the law. He is the word made flesh. And every law, every command, every sacrifice, every ceremonial law, every kosher law, every you name it, is wrapped up in him. And if our faith is in him, then we have fulfilled or accomplished everything that it set out to do, in and through us. He's done it for us, and we partner with him. Just like I don't know Megan Margul or I don't know her name, uh, the the American woman who's you know gone and married the prince. She is not uh, royalty. <laughs> Nothing special, significant about her at all. What makes her the princess today is because she united and became one with a prince. and her whole life, status, world, everything changed because of her union to him. And when we are united with Christ through our faith, and that's that's exemplified through baptism, then God sees us just like he sees Jesus. Not because of our works, not because of the law, because nobody will be justified by doing what the law commands. For the more we know God's law, actually the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying. God never gave the law to make people figure out how to do these rules and laws, to set parameters, to try to work on the heart. But the law could never do what Jesus did, which is fulfill the laws for us, send the spirit to circumcise the heart, as Romans talk about, so that now we might be new and different creatures, and we might be born again, not of flesh and blood, but of the spirit, a rebirth, that now we may actually serve God through the spirit. This is what the gospel is all about. So on that chart that you guys have seen, religion says it's all about you. The gospel says it's all about Jesus. Religion says it's all about your works, your performance, your behavior. The gospel says it's all about grace and faith. Over here, it's it's your effort. Over here, it's a gift. Over here in religion. You obey so that you can become accepted and loved and received by God. Under the gospel, we obey because we've already been accepted and received by God. Christianity becomes a response to the gospel. We are living in light of what has already been done for us. We're not fighting for victory, we are fighting from victory. We have already been accepted and received and loved because when we wanted nothing to do with God, when we were at our worst, Christ died while we were still sinners. The one who justifies the ungodly. For David wrote about that, the sinner whose sins are cast away, never to be remembered again. As far as the East is from the West. That is the gospel and the law is fulfilled and accomplished in and through jesus not just because jesus fulfilled it but when we unite with him we fulfilled it too and that's good news (laughs) amen amen Uh, i've had super long couple days So I'm going to see if there's any questions for you guys and then try to uh, go and spend some time with my wife before this uh, painter dude gets to my house. So Hmm. if there's anything, let me know. Amen. 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 I missed something. Let me go back. Amen, amen, amen. It's really mind-blowing how all the Old Testament connects to Jesus. I know it does when you start to speak all of the examples. I'm just in awe. Amen. Hey, Benita, good to see you tonight. All right. Okay, family, let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you tremendously for the gift of your Son, Lord, that those of us who had no way to establish a relationship with you and didn't want to find ourselves in relationship with you. And we can't boast because that's a gift that you have given us. And we thank you, Father, for the greatest gift ever given. And we pray that as we seek to know you better and deeper and greater than we currently do, that that would push us to make you known that in these dark, challenging, and difficult times, your church's light might shine brightly, that the name of Jesus and the gospel would be lifted so high that people would be drawn to you, that you would get the glory and the honor that you so deserve. I pray your hand over the people in New Orleans and All those surrounding areas, God, that you would just protect them and keep them safe. And I pray, Lord, for our world that's divided by so many issues during this time that you'd help give our leaders wisdom and guidance and direction about how to shepherd people during this time. Lord, the need for shepherds is so apparent, not just in the church, but for people who need to be led and to be led well. Would you raise up leaders Would you allow your church to do what you created it to do? And would you help us to seek to strive for unity, for your glory, and for your honor? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys, family. Thanks for hanging out. I hope that that uh, helps somewhat. Jesus' two commandments wouldn't be a law like the ten. Right, Jesus' two commandments. Wouldn't be a law, like the two, Right. I'm trying to think of what you're trying to say. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm just reading it. Jesus' two commandments, right now. Oh, oh! I think you're saying. Did Jesus give us just two commandments instead of ten? I think that's I think that might be what you're saying. I don't know. If you are saying that, no, because the laws they have to do with uh, outward behavior, and to love God and to love your neighbor is an inward thing, and we cannot love God until we realize that He first loves us. So again, it's a response. If you don't see the gospel and Jesus' love, you can't love God. You can perform, you can behave, but you can't really love him until you, he gives you the love. And you don't get that love until you hear and receive the gospel and the Spirit comes and does the work on your heart to make you like him. Great question, if that's exactly what you were asking. I'm sorry, bro. That's a strong word, Terrence. Thank you, Jonathan. Good to see you, brother. Oh, never mind. It is. Thank you. Pastor. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. God bless you guys. I love you. And uh, I will see you on Monday. Have a good one.